Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Are you looking for relentless performance for your firearms? If so, Riptide Armory is the ultimate destination for superior gun cleaning and protection. Riptide Armory offers American-made innovative products out of Arvada, Colorado. Whether it's the delicate finish of a collectible or the rugged exterior of a tactical weapon, you can clean without risk of damage. Visit RiptideArmory.com and discover the difference true quality can make for your firearms. Riptide Armory, a veteran-founded business. From Mediator's World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Week in Review, presented by Steel. Steel products are available only at authorized dealers. For more, go to steeldealers.com. Now, here's your host, Ryan Cal Callahan. The French Agricultural Ministry issued a decree banning, quote, meaty names from being used to describe plant-based foods, which may be the best thing France has done since democracy. Naming mushed, dyed, and molded plant product as steak is not a victimless crime, people. In two ways, actually. Naming your vegetable goo in a meaty way, such as ribs, turkey, burger, etc., is like depriving someone of responsibility. It's saying you don't need to know what's in this, and isn't responsibility at the base of the vegan argument anyway? The other way this mislabeling is a crime would be if someone who shops online were to uh, DoorDash or Instacart and get the wrong product. Imagine a hard-working individual covered in the day's layer of hard rot, sweat, and grime, coming home, unpacking their groceries, maybe cracking a cold beer. It's late for dinner. 8.30 p.m. or so, long, nasty commute home in the heat. And when this hard-working Joe or Jane gets to the protein portion, they don't find pig or cow. They find the steak that is not. As I said recently on the Meat Eater podcast, if this is what government overreach is, I'll support it. According to the Guardian UK, the draft decree, which applies only to products made and sold in France, not European imports, bans a list of 21 meat names to describe protein-based products, including steak, escalope, spare ribs, ham, or butcher. More than 120 other meat-associated names such as cooked ham, poultry, sausage, nugget, or bacon will still be authorized, but only if the products do not exceed a certain amount of plant proteins with percentages ranging between 0.5% and 6%. 
This would effectively mean that products marketed with labels such as vegan bacon or vegan cocktail sausages would have to change their name. Now, I truly have no interest in knocking the way anyone lives, which may not seem genuine at this point in the opening. Uh, used to be article and now is a monologue, apparently. So let me finish the braise on this carrot and plate it for you. Knowing where your food comes from is very important to me. Whether you grow it in a garden or get it from a gardener or a farmer you know, this is critically important as we humans grow in population. If we lose the knowledge of where food comes from, whether it moves, oinks, or makes the creaking, popping sound of corn growing on a hot July day, we will lose the land, that viable, life-giving land that we all depend on. Our farms and ranches make up a greater total acreage than all of our public lands combined. Agricultural lands in the United States total about 893,400,000 acres, which, just so you know, is a downward-trending number. Food is important. Where it comes from is more important. This week, we've got Regulation, CWD follow-up, the BLM, bison, radioactive pigs, and so much more. But first, I'm going to tell you about my week. And my week, well, uh, it will be spent on a boat by the time you hear this. I'm going spearfishing for bluefin tuna, again, hoping to report on next week's podcast that I got one, and now have to suffer through the burden of a hundred pounds or so of delicious bluefin tuna in my freezer. In order to prep for this trip, as a landlocked citizen of the U.S., I've been running the local trail systems, trying to tackle altitude and vertical with a high heart rate, lifting weights, which I have avoided for a lot of years because I find gyms to just be depressing places, places where humans who work for a living should not have to visit. Damn you, computers. Damn you. Damn you, Anyway, once again, trading away a week of September, which could be elk season, could be spot and stock mule deer season, but I'm trading that week for diving in Southern California. We'll see if it pays off. The reality is it's worth it. The ocean is a heck of a place. For those of you thinking, is it smart or ethical to kill a bluefin tuna? Well, the answer is I can't say for certain. But information from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Association states that while the population is believed to be overfished, it is at a sustainable and growing rate. The reason for the, you know, vagary here, the I don't knows, is A, it's the Pacific Ocean, which has an area of over 63,800,000 square miles. That's more than all of Earth's land mass combined. And B, a significant portion of the Pacific bluefin tuna population migrates from the Western Pacific to the Eastern Pacific, or let's say uh, 5,500 nautical miles from offshore California to the Sea of Japan. A journey bluefin have made in like 55 days. And that migratory population is actually pretty much fished the entire way. Bluefin can live up to 25 years of age and get huge, topping scales at over 900 pounds, but it takes them five years to hit sexual maturity, which means they are relatively slow to reproduce. And as we've said many times on this show, that's a recipe for overfishing, depleting your resource. And this particular resource, us people who want to practice responsible fishing, 
uh, we only have a small impact on that resource as it travels into other uh, jurisdictions, let's say. So a lot more to report on the back end of this one. And again, why does all the good stuff happen in September and October? Moving on to the regulations desk. South Dakota Game and Fish has voted to essentially table the idea of expanding hound hunting for mountain lions in the Black Hills until further review and revision at the end of 2023. Hound hunters had expressed a need for increased opportunity, but what appears to be a fairly liberal take of female lions already has the population in check, and it seems like a fair amount of people who wrote in uh, actually enjoy the ability to chase lions without dogs once the snow hits. Now we're going to move on, and we're going to tackle some CWD questions. In Texas, uh, as we reported on a couple weeks ago, the folks over at the Ox Ranch made the news for defying Texas Parks and Wildlife Division's order to euthanize deer on their property. This time, in McLennan County, there's two deer breeders that were issued kill orders from the Texas Department of Fish and Wildlife for a shipment of deer consisting of 29 animals, reportedly worth $1 million. The breeders of the deer successfully won a restraining order against TPWD. It seems one individual tested positive for the always fatal disease, and the state requires post-mortem testing of all of the associated deer from that facility. The breeders are angling for live testing, and in a written statement, say the fawns have been bred to be CWD resistant. I'm going to put an asterisk next to that, and we'll get back to why. Here are a couple of quotes that came in from our last Texas CWD article. I'm from Texas, and I don't have a problem with the changes. I'm interested to see the backlash from hunting operations if they can't remove the ear tag from deer they buy, meaning that the breeding facilities in Texas once they transport deer to the high fence facilities where they can hunt, they can remove the ear tags. And one of the changes that's proposed would be to like, keep those tags on these deer for tracking. This fellow goes on to say, uh, seems like that may deter clients from uh, hunting because an ear tag would remove more of the, quote, hunt from their high fence experience. Another quote for you here, the deer breeder high fence game is definitely a pay-to-play thing and not something that is going to help wildlife as a whole, but it could make you rich. I just have to believe that captive deer sure aren't helping the CWD thing. Signed, just a Texan's thought on this whole thing. Then, another, you know, great and well-written email citing um, a bunch of people, Ox Ranch as, as an example again stating CWD-resistant deer, seemingly low transmissibility uh, rates of CWD in some of these captive facilities, namely the Ox Ranch, who may have had a CWD-positive deer on site for two years while no other deer tested positive for CWD. How could this be so? So we're going to just quickly answer that one first. If you had a deer on site that tested positive for CWD, and then none of the other deer it was around tested positive for CWD in two years. You know, CWD takes a long time to build up, which is why deer aren't tipping over right away. So as the prions build up and up, they become easier to detect later on in life. Consequently, they are harder to detect earlier on in life. And there's always the super fun possibility of a false positive on that positive deer at the Ox Ranch. 
in regards to the claims of CWD resistant. So far, CWD resistant doesn't mean that these deer aren't getting CWD. What it means is it's taking longer for the deer to uh, test positive for CWD. There have not been any known case studies of infected deer not dying from the disease. Furthermore, what we know from similar diseases, such as a scrapie in sheep, for example, is when sheep breeders tried their best to breed for scrapie-resistant sheep, they were actually pretty darn successful. So much so that a new scrapie prion popped up, which is now called atypical scrapie, and that is the fear of captive breeding facilities breeding for deer that are resistant to these prions. Currently, there's somewhere between 9 and 20 different prion strains of CWD that are recognized. So as we know, right, like as we build up these resistances to any disease, it takes generations and generations and generations. And while the affected animal or human or whoever, whatever, changes, so does the disease. If you are interested in checking that uh, stuff out, reference would be the USGS March 2023 update for the North American Wildlife and Natural Resources Conference from the USGS National Wildlife Health Center. And a super fun paper titled Accurate Genomic Predictions for Chronic Wasting Disease in U.S. White-Tailed Deer. The last question that uh, I want to tackle is one that comes up a ton. CWD takes so long to kill a deer in the wild, sometimes longer than the average deer survives in the wild anyway. Why is it something that we should worry about? And the answer is, and this isn't like a blanket answer for all deer, right? But the deer that are alive and positive for CWD, but aren't exhibiting symptoms, uh, aka they're not stepping in front of trucks or hunter's bullets because they're, they're not thinking well, they're still spreading these prions around, even though they're exhibiting healthy behavior. So yeah, you're right. There's a lot of things out there on the landscape that are very confusing. Uh, it's very daunting as well, because these prions are moved around by people and other animals to a certain degree and quote unquote healthy deer. So the fight against CWD for wild populations is the same for these private populations, right? It's like, try not to move them around. Why help it out? Hunters, that just means butchering your deer in the field, getting it tested. Testing a deer, whether you want to consume it or not, does help our agency officials figure out how dense CWD is in a lot of areas and if it's popping up in new areas. So it's all good data. Citizen science. Embrace it. Don't be afraid of it. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. At O'Reilly Auto Parts, they offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. Man, I'm always swinging through my uh, local O'Reilly Auto Parts to get stuff ranging from car parts and accessories to boat batteries. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online. 
so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. And if you're a do-it-yourselfer and need a specialty tool to finish the job, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and ask about their loaner tool program. Simply pay a refundable deposit and borrow the right tool, then get your deposit back when it's returned. That way you don't have to go buy some you know super expensive thing that you need like once every five years. Just borrow it and get your refund back. Need your windshield wipers replaced, a brake light fixed, or quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid, and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in, ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. Lately, I've been telling you guys about land.com, the site that can help you find that little patch of ground to call your own where you can do all the hunting, fishing, and hanging out with family you want. Land can be a great investment. Getting your own piece of land is something that can both generate income over time and also generate a lot of memories for generations to come. It's an investment you get to use and enjoy and take care of while it works for you. And any good investor will tell you to start investing sooner than later. Well, they've got hundreds of thousands of rural listings from all across America. Land.com can help you find properties for hunting, fishing, a lake house, a hobby farm, or if you just want to start a rental business slash family compound as a way to better secure future generations. Land.com will also help connect you with the right agent that specializes in rural real estate. So enough dreaming about it. Land.com is the place to find and invest in your open space. Moving on to the bear desk, the three-legged bear desk to be exact. In Florida, a three-legged bear was caught on camera last week breaking into a home and helping himself to adult beverages. Locally known as Tripod, this thirsty Bruin ripped through a screened-in patio and made straight for the mini-fridge. The home's owners say he helped himself to three White Claws, and he seemed to prefer mango and strawberry. He also sampled some of the fish food that was left next to a fish tank and left a uh, happier and maybe less socially awkward bear. In case you're wondering, and I know you are, bears probably don't go after booze on purpose, though their powerful noses can likely smell the alcohol in the can. A Florida wildlife biologist told local media that the white claw choice was probably random. Quote, bears will test foods and bite cans to drink what's inside. We do not believe that bears choose cans that are filled with alcohol. It's just a random search. For their part, local residents, including the owners of the home, appear to be taking the break-in and stride, 
The owner, whose son was at home when Tripod broke in, said, quote, I was not scared because we know the bear really well. He lives here. We respect their habitat as much as we can. Which is odd because old Tripod made your uh, back porch and fridge his habitat. Florida wildlife officials have no plans to catch Tripod at this point, noting that the bear only broke into a screened-in porch and the fridge was unsecured. Because if you leave an unsecured fridge, you're basically asking for it. I don't know whether Tripod's lack of limb actually impacts his ability to eat a natural diet, but it is true that predators who become disabled often wind up making trouble around towns and cities. To take a far more deadly example, tigers in India that become injured can sometimes turn to easier two-legged prey. One of the world's most famous tiger hunters, a man named Jim Corbett, explains in his books how he often found that man-eating tigers had some kind of injury that kept them from hunting their usual diet. This was sometimes a porcupine quill that got infected in a cat's mouth or paw. You can read more about Corbett's life and hunts at TheMeatEater.com. Quick hack, I guess, if you will, for uh, securing things. Uh, Obviously, big fan of Yeti coolers. Had them forever. In fact, first Yeti cooler in the state of Montana. Verifiable, no doubt. Anyway, I've always liked them for the bear security, right? Grizzly bear state here. I have found, and this may or may not be helpful to you, but if you're someone who gets a lot of guns, new firearms come with firearm locks. So you can lock up the action or trigger mechanism, part of a child-safe gun environment at the home. Well, I have a a big uh, lockable wall in my house that uh, no kid's going to get into or anybody who isn't willing to like rip through a wall to get in there. So several of my child-safe locks have become locks for my Yeti coolers. So once padlock's on there, they're safe. They're considered like a bear-proof container, which is a, a real sweet deal. So just a little something for you. Moving on to the conservation desk. The Bureau of Land Management announced last week a $28 million investment in six large conservation projects around the country. The money for these projects is coming in from last year's Inflation Reduction Act, and the BLM will be partnering with several organizations you might recognize. $8.9 million, for example, will be going to Trout Unlimited for a large-scale watershed and aquatic restoration initiative across arid landscapes of the Upper Colorado Basin, California Great Basin, and Columbia Pacific Northwest regions. According to a BLM press release, this initiative will improve drought resiliency, promote aquatic connectivity, and conserve ecosystems, habitats, and the species that depend on them. Another $3.5 million will be going to the Mule Deer Foundation to improve and conserve important habitat for mule deer and sage-grouse on BLM land. This agreement will focus on defending and growing coarse sagebrush habitat, which provides key winter and migratory habitats for mule deer. Backcountry hunters and anglers will also be receiving $2.5 million to employ and manage a team to inventory, modify, and remove fences on BLM lands in areas of identified need. Be sure to join your local BHA chapter for a chance to join one of these teams and help remove fences that sometimes injure and kill migrating animals. These aren't the only projects receiving money. The Nature Conservancy, the National Fish and Wildlife Federation, and the Navajo Nation will also be receiving part of that $28 million to fund other conservation projects. Volunteers and responsible hunters and anglers are a crucial part of conserving our habitat and wildlife. 
but sometimes it's necessary to throw a pile of cash at a problem. When that money is used responsibly and efficiently, it can be a huge help to the animals we love and the places they live. Moving on to the bison desk. The National Park Service has published a draft environmental impact statement for a bison management plan at Yellowstone National Park. This plan describes three alternatives for managing bison in the park, including population goals and hunting methods. Thanks to all of you who sent this one in. The Park Service says that this plan allows them to evaluate bison management based on new scientific information and changed circumstances, explore ways to reduce bison being sent to slaughter, and to continue working closely with tribal nations and agency partners in management. The purpose of the plan is to preserve an ecologically sustainable population of wild, wide-ranging bison while continuing to work with other agencies to address issues related to brucellosis transmission, human safety, property damage, and to support tribal hunting outside the park. The plan outlines three alternatives for meeting these objectives, and the service wants the public to weigh in. If you live near Yellowstone and are impacted by bison, or you just want to have a hand in crafting how we manage one of our country's most iconic animals, now's the time to get out a notepad and pay attention. Under the first alternative, the Park Service would keep the status quo. It would maintain a population range of bison similar to the last two decades, which is 3,500 to 5,000 bison, after calving. It would continue hunt-trap coordination to balance population regulation in the park by using culling and hunting opportunities outside the park increase the number of brucellosis-free bison relocated to tribal lands, and work with the state of Montana to manage brucellosis spreading from bison to cattle. Under alternative number two, bison would be managed for a slightly higher population ceiling, going up from 5,000 to 6,000 individuals. This alternative would also emphasize restoring bison to tribal lands and using tribal treaty hunting outside the park to regulate numbers. Under the final alternative, the population ceiling would be raised even further to 7,000 individuals. The Park Service would rely on natural selection, bison dispersal, and public and tribal harvests in Montana as the primary tools to regulate the population. We'll post a link at themeateater.com forward slash cal to the page outlining these three alternatives if you weren't able to scribble any of that down in your car. We'll also post a link to where you can submit a comment if you'd like to weigh in. The final day to submit is September 25. Moving on to the nuclear desk. Why are Chernobyl pigs still radioactive? I know this is a question that's been burning at the back of your mind for years, and I'm here to answer it. Thanks to listener Solomon Pomerantz for sending this one in. Scientists have been wondering for years why wild boars in Germany and Austria have continued to test positive for a radioactive isotope nearly four decades after the Chernobyl disaster. Other animals, such as deer, have shown decreased levels of radioactivity, but in what has become known as the wild boar paradox, boars have maintained high levels of the isotope known as cesium-137. A new study released last week may have the answer to that paradox. Published in the journal Environmental Science Technologies, the study finds that these wild boars may not be radioactive due to Chernobyl after all. Instead, they believe the pigs are still contaminated from nuclear testing that was conducted before Chernobyl in the 1960s. Working with hunters collecting wild boar meat across southern Germany, they measured CCM levels with a gamma ray detector. Only one researcher was turned into a superhero during the course of this testing, and that's a win. 
and the nearly 50 collected meat samples, the team found 88% of the samples were above Germany's regulatory limits for radioactive cesium in food. Calculating the ratio of cesium isotopes in the samples, they found that the nuclear weapons testing accounted for 10 to 68% of the contamination. Some of that contamination was from Chernobyl, but even if the accident had never happened, some of the boars would still have high levels of radiation. Boars have higher levels than other animals because they ingest radioactive material from contaminated deer truffle mushrooms. These mushrooms absorb cesium through the soil like nutrients. And then the boars dig up and eat them during the winter when corn and acorns are scarce. Researchers don't point to one nuclear test in particular. These above-ground tests affected the entire northern hemisphere. An enormous updraft occurs after an explosion, pushing material higher. By the time the fallout gets down to Earth, radioactive materials have evenly distributed higher in the atmosphere to create a truly global fallout phenomenon. The good news is that, according to these researchers, you need to eat a massive amount of pork chops to start glowing green. While technically unsafe to eat, the levels aren't high enough to actually hurt people. Still, knowing your wild pig has radioactive material in it uh, probably isn't what you want to hear. Question for you is, would you rather hear dinners canceled? Moving on to the Hellbender Desk. Biologists with the Indiana Department of Natural Resources and Purdue University recently documented a very young hellbender salamander in the Blue River. This discovery is significant because over the past three to four decades, only adult hellbenders have been documented in the Blue River. The presence of a young salamander suggests that conservation efforts and rearing programs are accomplishing their goals for the recovery of this endangered species. Finding hellbender larvae is a huge benchmark of the program's success, said DNR's Nate Ingbrecht, the state herpetologist. It tells us that there has been successful breeding, hatching, and recruitment in the wild. It's a wonderful sign that captive-reared and released hellbenders are doing what we want them to do at this site. Along with having the coolest name of any salamander, the hellbender is also the largest aquatic salamander in North America. They can grow as long as 30 inches, though most are between 12 and 15. They're mostly nocturnal and eat crayfish, regular fish, toads, water snakes, and other hellbenders. Hellbenders have lungs, but they mostly don't need them. They absorb oxygen from the water through folds in their skin, and one hellbender was documented as surviving without any lungs at all. Scientists think they use their lungs for buoyancy rather than breathing. Young hellbenders have gills, which they lose after about 18 months. It was one of these young, gilled hellbenders that they found in Indiana. Hellbenders were listed as endangered in 2011, and efforts are underway to grow their numbers. It takes seven to eight years for hellbenders to reach sexual maturity, so finding a young salamander is a great sign for their recovery. That's why, if you ever find a hellbender on the end of your fishing line, just cut the line and let it go. The salamanders aren't poisonous, but you're more likely to injure or kill it by handling it. Big thanks to listener Kara Wagner for sending us this story. That's all I got for you this week. Uh, I'll try to capture something really good from Tuna Town and get back to you next week. Thanks again, and remember to write in to A-S-K-C-A-L. That's AskCal at TheMeatEater.com, and let me know what's going on in your neck of the woods. On top of that, go to www.SteelDealers.com to find a local knowledgeable steel dealer near you. They'll get you set up with what you need, and they won't try to send you home with what you don't. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you next week.
I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Clean and protect your firearms with Riptide Armory. Riptide, a veteran-founded business. It's dedicated to producing American-made cleaning chemicals and also dedicated to creating American jobs. And that commitment is embodied in every product that's bottled, labeled, and shipped from their Arvada, Colorado facility. Safe for all firearm types and surfaces. Embrace the power of American ingenuity and protect your firearms with the best. Visit RiptideArmory.com.